you would, open your Bibles to the book of James. Let me just point out a, a couple of things. Uh, we, we sold out of our commentaries on James, but we've ordered a bunch more If for those of you who want to read along during the week. They're available back there. I mean, the text that we're going to be looking at tonight, we're going through the book of James at least for the next few months. Um, I'm not going to be able to get to everything. It's going to take two or three weeks just to go through the text we're going to look at tonight. So if I skip over some things or jump over it, don't worry, we'll look at it um, next week. And y'all are going to witness a first here. It's going to show my age. But I, I am now having to put on glasses for the, for the reading of God's Word. It's, do I look more intelligent? I, I figure I'm going to read, and then I'll take them off to preach, so it's like I'm intelligent, but I'm stooping down to your level now <laughs> to explain things. That's, that's my strategy, okay? James 1, we'll begin reading verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Pray with me. Our Lord Jesus, we need to hear from you. We need to just see your beauty and your glory. And so we ask that you would reveal those things to us through your word. Open up dull hearts, dull minds to receive glorious things from your word. I pray that my word would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. My generation uh, has paved the way for a lot of the cheesy Christian arts, which you now enjoy. Uh, I got to experience the very first Christian rock groups and rap groups um, that were so controversial at the time. I can remember going to a Christian youth conference in which the speaker got a poster of Striper, a heavy metal Christian band, and ripped it in half in front of everybody, calling it the devil's music. Uh, The parents of one of my close friends would not allow him to listen to Amy Grant uh, because on one of Amy Grant's albums, there is the the ignition of a car that kind of roars the life. And the roar, his parents said, is the devil's roar. And so to rebel, we had to listen to Amy Grant quietly in his room. (laughs) 
This is also the time when uh, Christian t-shirts came on the scene. Uh, And these were the t-shirts that would rip off, you know, some kind of uh, secular company's uh, logo or a phrase. And so instead of something like Gold's Gym, you would have God's Gym. Or uh, instead of Budweiser's, this Bud's for you, you had this Blood's for you. Um, I actually own that shirt. I own both of those shirts. Uh, But the most popular of them all was the Just Do It t-shirts. I mean, it was like perfect timing, perfect storm. Nike just came out with its campaign of Just Do It. The Christian marketers were looking at, oh, the t-shirts. was like, oh, it's a perfect heaven-sent fit. And so the Just Do It t-shirts were everywhere. Um, I proudly wore a neon peach-colored Just Do It t-shirt that said this. It said, Just live it, just preach it, just share it, just pray it, just believe it, just do it, James 1.22. And it was the most popular of all the Christian t-shirts out there. And now, many years removed from this, and I look back and I think, why? Why did I do this? Not just for the cheese factor, but what a horrible message. What a horrible message to the world. I can't think of a more condemning message to give people who are, who are living in sin, already struggling with life, and just say, here's all the good things you need to be doing. Now just do it. Just do it, and everything will be okay. I, I mean, did anybody, like, as I walk by, read the back of my shirt and think, wow, so I just need to, I need to just live the perfect moral life. It, it makes such sense. I'm going to do that. It wasn't going to happen. It never will happen. And the phrase, just do it, is is a great distortion for what James is actually preaching in James 1.22. James is not a a book of rules that he throws out there to to weigh us down. He's not telling us, here's all the things you must do in order for you to be saved. No, he, he describes the law this way. Look at verse 25. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. He says, these rules, this law is liberating. It doesn't weigh you down. It's supposed to set us free. And that's what I want us to look at tonight. How, how does this perfect law, how does the Word of God set us free and if it's not setting us free, what, why is that? What might be going on in our life that inhibits that? So let's begin by looking at verse 18. And let me just say at the start, this is one of the most theologically dense and beautiful verses in all of James. And we're just going to kind of look at three things in this um, before we move on. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The phrase brought us forth is literally birthed us. Some of your translations might have this. It's describing the Christian experience of being born again. So right here, James is saying being a Christian is not following a new set of rules. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not just trying to become a better person. It's not just doing it. No, in order to become a Christian, you've got to be reborn. 
You know, this is what Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom. And so you have to be given a new life. And so a Christian, well, many things happen when when one becomes a Christian. But, But one thing you can be assured of, one thing that absolutely defines a Christian is that they have been given New life. You can call it transformation. You can call it regeneration. You can call it rebirth. But the bottom result is this. A person is not the same as they were before. They're a completely different person. They've been given new life. And then when you look at verse 18 here, you, you see how this new life comes about. It says, of his own will. He birthed us by God's own will. He did this. God himself is the one who is responsible for giving you new life. Just as you did not contribute anything to your physical birth, you're not contributing anything to your spiritual birth. It's God's own will that births you. And so there's some that like to drive a wedge between, you know, the Apostle Paul's theology and James's theology when it comes to the doctrine of salvation. But here you see James is in perfect agreement. He says, we've been saved by grace alone. And then we see here that God birthed us by this word of truth. This word of truth is God's word found in Scripture. It's the the gospel that Scripture proclaims. And what James is saying here is that when we have heard the gospel, when we we hear Scripture, that through the Holy Spirit, it quickens our spirit and transforms us, changes us. We become new people. That's how one becomes a Christian. And then later he's going to unpack this even more because he says it's not just the word of truth that comes to you. This this word has actually been implanted in you. Look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This word implanted there is huge. It would be so much easier to understand and to teach from if he had not added that one little word there of implanted. But he added it there because it's, it's crucial. Without the word implanted, it changes the meaning of everything. According to the Greek dictionary in my office, let me, uh, let me tell you what the word implanted means. It means something natural and not acquired. Something natural and not acquired. So when James says that God has implanted his word in us, he's saying that there are some essential truths about God that are now deeply put into us, they are now natural to us. They've they've been grafted into us. They are are now a part of us. 
These deep truths about God. And this is why we read at the start of the service from the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, or Jeremiah 31. Because this is the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. It's what Jeremiah is talking about when he says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. It's the implanted word. And I will write it on their hearts. This is the implanted word. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And so when we look at this passage in Jeremiah 31, we're seeing Jeremiah look for it and he's saying, man, I long for the time and it's going to happen when God, your word is no longer etched in stone. It's no longer just carved in stone, but it's actually put in my heart. And that's what happens when we become Christians. We hear the gospel. We hear scripture and God writes it on our hearts. And it changes us. Gives us new life. And here's the strange thing, though, about this term implanted and why it's somewhat difficult to understand. Because it's natural. It's not acquired. But then James says you have to receive it. All right, you don't acquire it, but you've got to receive it. So you're now supposed to receive what you already have inside of you. And I read that and I was studying it and I still kept saying, what the heck does that mean? That we are now supposed to receive something that's already inside of us, already a part of us. And what James is saying here is that when you become a Christian, your relationship with the Word of God changes. It fundamentally changes the moment you become a Christian. Uh, when God plants deep within you His Word, you then begin to respond differently to the, His Word when you hear it. You begin to respond differently to the Bible. You begin to respond differently to Scripture after God's Word has been planted in you. Um, before God's Word was planted in you, you might have studied the Bible. You might have thought it was helpful, pretty interesting, but it never really emotionally grabbed you. It never really moved you. It didn't have any transformative power in you. But since you became a Christian and God's word was put in you, now you, you, you come across scripture and you read it and you're like, yes, yes. That's, there's a part of you that is saying, amen. It's recognizing God's truth because his truth has already been placed in you. And you're receiving this. Not like receiving a blow on the head that you dread, which I know some Christians, that's how they receive the Word of God. They're like, oh, I know I'm going to hate this, but go and give it to me. No, this is like receiving, welcoming it in. Because your heart's been changed. You know, before, kind of the comparison I would use is you treated the Bible um, like the novel Moby Dick. Okay? Um, it's a good book, full of great quotes, Really long, you're never going to read it all the way through, but you know you got to put it on your shelf. And that's how you treated the Bible. But now it's altogether different. Your heart is crying out, yes, 
as it responds to the truth you hear. It's like the, the scripture in you is calling to the scripture, the word of God. And you're calling back and forth to one another. The Bible's no longer a luxury. It's, it's like food. It's like oxygen. It's what you're made of. It's what you crave. The, here's an imperfect analogy. Don't ask me about it later. It breaks down on many levels. I can be home upstairs in my study, all right, and uh, my wife loves to bake, and she's fantastic at baking, and so I'm there studying, and uh, I catch uh, just a waft of cookies, freshly baked chocolate chip cookies, and, and so as those, you know, those little teeny particles of chocolate chip cookies make their way up the steps and into my room, and I'm smelling them in, I begin really desiring these chocolate chip cookies. I'm I'm now craving them. I've got chocolate chip cookies on my brain. I've got to have something. So I go downstairs and, you know, open the door and I see fruit on the counter. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. You know, I see yogurt there. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh. And I'm looking all around because I know what I want. I want what I've already breathed in. What I've already breathed in, that's what I want. And so I look to see where Lauren has hidden the cookies behind the toaster. And so I could go and I could get one of those cookies. And I crave it. But now I'm putting in my body what what I've already smelled and in a sense breathed in. And nothing else will do. And this is what God is saying His implanted Word has done. He's he's given you the aroma. It's in you. And now you're going to find it and you're going to feed and you're going to feed and you're going to feed on His truth. If this has not happened to you, this is not describing your relationship with the Word. You need to reflect on that. Because if the Word of God is in you, it creates that craving and that longing and that yes for His external Word there. There might also be another problem. Right before James tells us to receive this implanted Word, um, James often reads like the book of Proverbs, and you kind of get like this proverb here. It just kind of jumps out at you. He, he talks about anger. And look at verse 19. Uh, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Um, and so you have this random thing, seemingly random thing about anger here, we're right before he's telling his thoughts about the Word of God. Right after he's telling his thoughts about the Word of God. And then all of a sudden he says, hey, you need to be slow to anger. Um, but what he's explaining here is, here's a pitfall that you can fall into. A danger here that will keep you from responding or receiving this implanted Word. And it's anger. You know, if you're a parent... I mean, you have spent many waking moments trying to teach verse 19 to your children. And then when you lose your temper, they point it out to you. Um, and you're like, you're right. I need to learn this. At least this is our household. Um, I can promise you that at times I think I see steam coming out of my four-year-old's ears. She gets so angry. I mean, she could look at me. The only thing that keeps her from killing me is strength at times. She just, and she'll, she'll just tighten up her whole body, and she'll just say, I am so 
angry. And I expect her almost to turn green, you know, rip out muscles and just start destroying everything. Instead, she just destroys everything. But she has this huge, just like, anger problem. Um, and you can't, you know, rationally be reasonable with her because she's four. Um, and so she could get angry. The last thing yesterday, she got angry about this. Natalie got a birthday present. And so Georgia got it and says, I want to play with this. Now, I know, Natalie knows, the whole world knows that whatever Georgia, my four-year-old, plays with, she's going to break. We know that. And so Natalie is saying, please don't play with my toy. I'm saying, Georgia, you don't need to play with that toy. And Georgia goes, I am so angry. She goes, I will not break this toy, Dad. And I said, look in your hand. And in her hand, she had already broken the arm off the doll because she was squeezing it so hard in such anger. She also got angry because I wouldn't let her go outside without any pants on. She's like, I'm so angry. You're so unfair. You know, and just. We all struggle with anger. It's easier to see with a four-year-old. I'd probably say this one of my biggest struggles, anger. I just mask it really well. When I get angry, I get really calm, really calm. So if ever I'm in a conversation with you, I look like I'm about to sleep, fall asleep. Just so like, he's really, really angry right now. Um, I, I don't blow up. I just, it's just, it's very internalized. It's causing lots of damage in there. Proverbs 14, 29 says this, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is has a hasty temper, exalts folly. And so have you ever like blown up in anger at somebody? Just like blown up. And then two hours later, you're like, oh my gosh, I feel like such a fool. Do you know why you feel like a fool? It's because you were a fool. You were. That's what it says. Whoever is anger has great understanding, but who has a hasty temper exalts folly. You were exalting folly. You are a fool in your anger. This is why Proverbs says we need to be slow to anger. It's why James says we need to be slow to anger. Because you cannot have that type of anger and receive the implanted word. Let me just say here, not all anger is bad. Anger is not sin. James does not say here, don't ever get angry. He says, be slow to anger. Um, Actually, this is one of the things, months back, I was trying to think of what I would be preaching through, and I hadn't thought yet about preaching through the book of James, but I had written down this verse, and I said, I want to preach on anger at some point. I want to just do a whole sermon on anger. And then the more and more I started looking at James, and some more verses on James kept coming up that wanted to preach through the whole book, I decided, well, we'll we'll get to anger when we get through James. But being angry is not necessarily a sin. God himself gets angry a lot. Jesus got angry a lot. Paul says in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Paul actually commands you, get angry. Don't let it cross over to sin. But there are some things that demand anger. And although Jesus was full of love, Jesus got angry so many times And it would have been wrong for him not to be angry during these times. It was actually because Jesus loved so much that his anger came out. Um, Because 
The opposite of love is not anger. I think a lot of times we think that. Or the opposite of love is anger. No, the opposite of love is hate. And, and the final form of hate is indifference. When you could just completely care less. And so when Jesus got angry, that doesn't mean he hated it. It means he's not indifferent towards what's going on. He's going to respond to this. Anger is a God-given emotion that mobilizes you to respond to a threat. Um, I've heard it defined this way. Anger is love in motion towards a threat of something you love. Anger is love in motion towards a threat of something you love. So if you see something threatening what you love, you have a God-given emotion of anger that makes you do something about it. And so we all get angry when something we love is threatened. And it, it, it makes us not just sit there. The question that we need to be asking ourselves when we feel anger and get in the habit of doing this is ask this question, what is it that I love that is being threatened? What is it that I love that is being threatened at this moment? Is it a righteous thing that's being threatened? I love justice. And when I see somebody trampling on the poor, I get angry because I see justice being threatened. That's a righteous anger. Ask yourself, what is it that is being threatened that I love that is being threatened? More often than not, you're going to answer, it's my pride. It's my image. It's my ego. Those, that's what's being attacked. That's what's being threatened. And that's why I'm lashing out. And that is an unrighteous anger. When you don't get what you want and you get angry. So you need to be asking that question every time you feel emotion. What is it that love that's being threatened? What am I defending here? And so if you find yourself having outbursts of anger, quick anger, it is almost always because your pride has been wounded. Almost always. And that's what James is talking about here. It's that type of anger. You know, someone who doesn't listen, someone who's quick to give their opinion, um, quick to anger, will never receive this implanted word. They're not open to it. Um, some of the qualities of a person who's full of this type of anger is a person who always wants to prove himself right. Always has to be right. Dogmatic over every issue. Will not listen to others. Um, no such thing as a minor issue. Everything becomes a major issue. And it's, it's never a little thing. It's always a big thing. I, I've, I've had huge arguments or tried to be drawn into huge arguments because people have been so angry. Just, just actually, it's one person who's been so angry how we would take communion. Uh, the technical way that we take in communion is called intinction. If in case you didn't know, that's when we break off the bread and we dip it into wine and we take it. 
And the person was furious over this, saying it was all the gospel was at stake. Everything, because we weren't taking it, you know, we were actually drinking from the cup and taking of it. I'm like, this is a minor issue. But it wasn't. For him, it was huge. It's like he almost had his whole identity wrapped up in it. And I found that this was the case with everything with him. It's the quality of an angry person. When little issues become the issues. Angry people will never admit when they are wrong. They will never see themselves as being wrong. If you point it out to them, the only thing they're going to do is point out something else that is wrong that they could be angry about. And all of those types of angers, all those, those qualities of anger, all are because pride has been assaulted. And anything that threatens how good, how great, how right someone is, is going to get an outburst of anger. And James tells us that this person cannot receive the implanted word. Cannot. He says you can't receive it because you think you already know everything. You're not open to it. You can't receive the word because you're too busy giving your opinion about it. Well, let me tell you what I think God is like. And, you know, my God would never do this. My God is like this. And so opinionated, but never actually open to being humbly instructed by the Word of God. So you cannot receive the Word if you're so quick to make judgments. If you can never be corrected. Can't admit when you're wrong. And James says, you, you want to receive the Word of God? You come with meekness. You come with humility. You acknowledge, I don't know it all. I need to be shaped by the Word. And then God will correct, God will teach, God will shape, and God will transform you. And it's only then, as, as James says, that it will save your soul. So let me end. We're going to save the rest of this for next week. Let, let me end here just by asking this. Does the Word of God to you feel like rules? Or does it set you free? Does it feel like rules or does it set you free? If it feels like rules that weigh you down, maybe it's because you have some of that anger that James is talking about. You're just not open to hearing from the Lord. Or, or possibly it's because His Word's never been implanted in you. Do you welcome the Word of God into your life? Or is it something you receive like receiving a blow? Is it something that you crave? Does in your soul you say yes when you hear from it? Ultimately, this written word here leads us to the living word of Jesus. whom Ephesians says, the word of Christ dwells in us richly. And so we want to be transformed by this word because it helps us to understand the living word of Jesus. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that we would be slow to speak, slow to give our opinions, slow to assume what you are like, slow to demand what you should be like, slow to anger but quick to listen to you in your word. 
May we receive this implanted word with joy. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.